0: To the Paul McGuire report. This is Paul McGuire. Okay, so the question has to be asked: If you want to know what is going to happen next, if you want to know what's going to happen in the future, whether the future is tomorrow, a month from now, or three years from now, or ten years from now, the way you determine the future with the highest degree of accuracy is that you project based on current trends. Uh, current data, current information. You analyze and you project at the same time. So you get your information and your information has to be reliable. So if you're getting your information from the mainstream news media, I can promise you hundred percent of the time you are going to flatline. You are going to come up empty and you will come to false conclusions. It's inevitable because. The mainstream media is not designed at all, whatsoever, to communicate the truth. If you know people who rely on the mainstream media uh, for their truth and for their information, those people are in deep psychological deception and they're in deep spiritual deception. Why on earth, if you were hypothetically, if you were rational, now that's a big assumption. Are these people rational? Well, no, they're not rational. They're irrational. You have to deal with them, you have to interact with them. They may be people in your family, loved ones, people you know, associates, co-workers, or whatever, people you go to church with. Uh, hopefully, not people you go to church with, but you you are in a, a, a zone of interacting with them. So you have to be uh somewhat polite for whatever the reasons are. Now I can usually determine in, in minutes um, what kind of answers people are going to give me, even if I don't ask a question. Many of these people are on a mission or on a crusade. So I can tell you, and you can determine this for yourself. Many of you already determine these kinds of things for yourself on a on a regular basis. You You've had to develop, in the last eight years... Most of you listening to the Paul McGuire Report, in the last eight years, in the last four years especially, you have had to, you were forced to develop certain interpersonal skills that involve your ability to navigate through, uh, let's just call it a hostile environment. Now, why is it a hostile environment? It's not a hostile environment, and I'm talking to you. you know you know who I'm talking to you. It's you because this is what you're going through. You've had to learn how to navigate socially in a hostile environment. Why is it hostile? Because it's not because of you, you're attempting to be loving, you're attempting to be long suffering you're you're attempting to be kind. see, you're doing all the things that people used to do um, in what was considered normal or average or typical American behavior. And in addition to that, many of you are endeavoring to incorporate your biblical worldview, your Christian belief system, your personal relationship with Jesus Christ into these social arenas. And you you feel that you should be governed by that because this is what you believe. So, for example, if you have the Holy Spirit in you, if you've been born again, if you're renewing your mind with the Word of God, you part of you wants to go on autopilot and respond simply by loving people, even if they're mean, nasty, rude. But most of all, the agenda—and you're not paranoid, by the way. That's why you need to be very careful about who you go to for counseling. Because if the person or group or entity that you're going to counseling for does not share your perspective that people really are attacking you, they really are suppressing you, they really are using uh, a number of social, social manipulation techniques to suppress you, if if they are, if the counselor or the counseling entity is unable to... to come to grips with that basic reality, you and him or her are not on the same page together. And you ought to get out of that office or that setting or whatever as fast as you can, while you can still breathe and slam the door, not because you're having a temper tantrum, just to get the heck out of there. Because whether they vocalize it or not, a lot of times If you're going to counseling or whatever, you're paying for it out of your pocket, you're paying for it through an insurance company or whatever, they're not going to say everything they really think to you because they've already gotten to know you and they know basically what you think and they don't want to lose you as a customer. Now, that's a cynical view, and I'm not saying that every single person in that job description behaves like that, but there's a disturbing number that do. Now, so the rules of the game have changed radically in the last 8 years and especially the last 4 years and it used to be the goal the attempted norm was to be loving kind and and there was even a time when people had a rule and and it, it isn't necessarily bad or good but it's better than shattering your fa- your family with a nuclear bomb and that is people had a social rule in america for For many decades, and the rule went something like this: when you get together as a family, you don't talk about politics, you don't talk about religion, uh, and a couple there's a couple of other categories now, in today's environment, that list would be greatly expanded. You can hardly talk about anything because all of your beliefs see while your brothers and sisters well excuse me, while some of your brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ or some of those people who claim to be Christians. Claim to be Christians, uh, while they were sleeping, you weren't. You were listening to programs like the Paul McGuire Report, and other programs that that communicate the truth. You weren't sleeping. Sleeping. You were eyes wide open. They were eyes wide shut. So in in that period of let's say incrementally eight years and then four years, the whole culture. Violently went through a catharsis. It was a a totally. It would not be uh, exaggerating one iota to say that in the last eight years, the last ten years, in the last four years, America, American culture, has gone through a violent social revolution. That has literally shaken the very core of every institution, belief system, and foundation of our families, our churches, our economic system, our culture, our our media, our so called once common values. All of that has been intentionally and systematically and strategically targeted for total destruction, total annihilation. Now, take a deep breath. I understand. I understand something. And you do too. That's why well, That's why we come together in this program. The Paul McGuire Report is not about Paul McGuire, ultimately. It's not about his report, ultimately. The Paul McGuire Report is simply a space. It's a place. Where a a community let's let's say what it kind of really is, it's kind of like a virtual community. It's a collective reality that is built upon uh, an adherence to truth, truth scientifically, truth historically, truth uh, in every area of life. And of course, the most important area of life is truth and spirituality. So that's what the Paul McGuire report is. That's what Paradise Mountain Church is. It's a it's a community, or as the Bible describes it. It's a and this is this is where the definition really expands to fulfill all of the possibilities that are contained in the space that you and I have created. And simply because of the blessing of the Lord, uh, God's sovereignty, God's plan for our lives, for for utilitarian purposes, which simply means for purposes that have to do with marketing, identification, uh, uh, internet addresses, et cetera, et cetera. For those purposes only. And and not for the purposes which some might fantasize about. This is not about my ego. This is not even about me. If you think that at my age, after experiencing all the things that I've experienced in my life, if you think for a moment that I am seduced or captivated or deceived by the artificial allure of of climbing to the top of some kind of Illuminati power grid in a pyramidical shape, you don't know me very well. And you haven't walked in the places that I've walked. Because and many of you have walked in the places that I've walked, but if you've walked in the places that I that I've walked, that stuff loses its juice I mean, you know, when you're in your 20s, you perceive life a certain kind of way. And I'll give you an example. When I was in my 20s, after I was radically saved, hitchhiking, fleeing from a, a Christian denominational religious retreat about an hour outside of the University of Missouri in the middle of nowhere, I, I, I answered in an invitation by a guy. And, and to this day, I can't tell you why I said yes to his invitation because I, like, 100% of the time, a million percent of the time, I would never, ever, ever darken the door of a denominational Christian religious retreat, especially back then when my hair was down to my way below my shoulders, and uh, I was a member of the counterculture. I was majoring in, in altered state, states of consciousness at the University of Missouri, which was part of the psychology department. Oh, and by the way, I'm going to say this now because it's just nothing more than the need to get it off my chest. This is addressed to the idiot. Yes, the idiot underlined, exclamation point, who assumes, people assume, people who live mundane lives, people who are cowards, and people who are frightened to be who God created them to be, they always assume that people like me, people like you, people that think outside of the box and dare to be different and build their lives around daring to be different. They always assumed that we're lying, that, that we made it up, that that we're, we falsified everything. And, and let me just show you rhetorically how impossible that would be from a logical, rational standpoint. Now, most of you know that I was raised in an atheistic, agnostic, secular humanist home, where logic and reason and science and history and art and culture, these were our gods. I was raised in an environment that despised religion, basically, and certainly despised Christianity. So that's how I looked at the world. I always tried to look at the world the way I was taught as a child, which was through logic and reason and knowledge and history and science, etc. So the question has to be, has to be asked to, to, to this, this idiot, and this is more than one, I mean, people literally devote who knows how many hours of, of, of their time to to try to attack me and falsify my my truthful biography. So this idiot, and I'm being kind. You say that's not kind? Hey, I'm being extremely kind and extremely gracious because I'm not saying the real word I should be using for this individual. Okay? It's far more tenacious than idiot. So just picture this. They call the University of Missouri. They don't even know which University of Missouri to call. Because first of all, if you were a private detective, the first thing you would figure out if you were trying to find out certain things about the biography of Paul McGuire is, well, gee, there's more than one location for the University of Missouri, as there is um, in many universities and colleges. They have different branches or different offshoots of a particular school or college or university of higher learning located in different areas. So the University of Missouri has multiple campuses. The main campus is at the University of Missouri in Columbia, which is where I went. Now, I never went to to the University of Missouri, which I think is in St. Louis or near St. Louis. So so the person calls the University of Missouri. Somehow, oh, and somebody sent me a, a An article in a blog site they wrote on on me. And so, for starters, doing detective work like an idiot produces idiotic results. So this individual calls the University of Missouri. But they're completely unaware of the fact that they never even asked the question, did they call the right university? And by right, I mean the University of Missouri that I actually attended, not the one that I didn't attend. No, they didn't think about that. Now this this happened about I'm going to yes 7 years ago. Okay? Could be a year or two longer or a year or two shorter than that. And so um they called the University of Missouri and I don't know what department they called I assume it was it's the records department because it's common practice as you know in universities and colleges that First of all, the students and the graduates want to be able to get a copy of their transcripts that prove that they took the courses and got the grades that they're claiming. And second of all, other universities and colleges, uh, that that one-time student may want to uh, apply for a, a higher degree, like a master's or a PhD, or, or get a degree in a different field of study. And so... The, the common accepted practice is that particular university or college would then call the University of Missouri to find out if indeed Paul McGuire took this course, that course, and the other. All right, so it's not it's not a difficult thing to 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 get. Okay, so so here, but here here's what a fool does. This individual calls the University of Missouri. The student that they're talking to is most likely, you know, 21, 22, 23, maybe twenty four at the most just based on the law of averages, okay? That student wasn't even alive when I was born. That student who's answering the phone in the records department or the archives department or whatever, that student was not even alive when I was born. When I was attending the University of Missouri, taking the courses that I claim that I took, that student wasn't even alive. So, So you're probably talking, I'm just doing this off the top of my head, You're probably talking about a period of approximately 50 years. That's right, 50 years. 50 years. So it's been 50 years since I attended the University of Missouri, approximately, because I don't have the the calendar stuff in front of me, but it's pretty accurate. Okay, so for 50, 50 years, it's been 50 years since I attended the University of Missouri. When I attended the University of Missouri, much to the surprise of the idiot trying to do research on me, There was no such thing as the internet. There was no such thing as computers. There was no such thing as laptops. There was no such thing as email. The entire social media computerized revolution that our society has gone through hadn't happened yet. It wouldn't happen for another, I don't know, what, 30 years, 25 years? So to try to find the records of somebody who attended the University of Missouri before computers, before social media, before electronic archives, would be very cumbersome and very difficult because you would go into certain rooms that are located at the University of Missouri. I've been in the rooms. And these are giant rooms with, with cardboard file boxes, alphabetical order, uh, numerical orders. And they they have, at least when I was going there, they kept a paper copy of everything about you, your grades when you attended when when you left, what courses, what majors. It's all on it's all on paper files in alphabetical or numerical order. It's not on computer files. So if that's if that person looked it up on computer files, they wouldn't it would say nothing. It would say the answer that they thought they got. Well he never he never came here. Well yeah, because you're looking on a computer. I didn't come there when computers were invented. Now if the university was on top of it, but we know universities are not necessarily on top of it, they should have transcribed the thousands and thousands of students, their their records, their grades, their, their degrees, and everything else uh, should have been trans- transcribed. In other words, taken from paper files, alphabetical, numerical files on paper, and it should have been transcribed onto electronic files and electronic data storage but most likely that job i'm just guessing was never really finished okay so we have a couple of problems we have a student who's answering the phone in the archives or records department and then we have uh, a would-be investigator student who's probably around 25 years old both of them spent both of them weren't even conceived in their mother's womb when i was attending the university of missouri now let's just pause for a second I know for a fact I know for a fact that my college records exist at least in a paper file because that, that's what I you know exist at least in a paper file at both the uh, at the University of Missouri and also at the other colleges and universities that I both attended took graduate school courses in in terms of pursuing a master's degree took uh, PhD-level courses concerning pursuing uh, a doctorate or PhD in theology, specifically eschatology, which is the study of Bible prophecy. Now, the reason I know my files are there, if you talk to the right person who looks in the right place, is that when I would apply to get my master's degree 30 years later, 35 years later, And then when I would apply uh, to take courses for for a PhD or a doctorate, you know, 35 years or whatever later, I I was not, even though I was a professor and a, a, a doctor at Jack Hayford's King's College and Seminary, even though I was a professor of eschatology, teaching Bible prophecy. I was not allowed, and, and fully endorsed by Jack Hayford, fully endorsed by the, the seminary and the university. Um, I had to go through the same routine any other applying student would have to go through. When I was studying for my master's and studying for a PhD, I had to supply, I had to contact the university. I remember how annoying it was because it took it took a while. I had to go, I had to write the University of Missouri. They didn't respond, of course, when I requested my grades and archives. So I had to pursue it more, and then I had to call them on the phone. And guess what? When I called them on the phone and pursued it more, guess what they found? They found all my paper records on paper of the courses I took, the grades I took, what my major was, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, and they were sent to me in the mail. I I received uh, official sealed correspondence. In fact, as I remember it. Um, the, the archives, I believe this is the case. Remember, this is going back a long time, uh, that they would not, the University of Missouri would not send me my archives, my, my grades, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And that it wasn't just me. As I recall, it was the policy of the university because they didn't want students who were applying to uh, get higher degrees at different colleges and universities they they wanted to make sure there was no falsification of uh what your grades were, you know, you, that you wouldn't like rig your grades and make them higher than what they really were or rig your major and and make up that you got a degree in anthropology or whatever. As I recall it, that that stuff was sent uh to the uh King's College and Seminary. And, and they they received it but they but they get but I, because i had so much difficulty in getting it and because they knew i was a public figure and and, and attacked as a public figure uh they simply gave me copies of my, my transcripts and grades and stuff so it's like i've seen them okay and so the whole beef was oh he, there was he couldn't have made ma- major in altered states of consciousness because there never was any courses on altered states of consciousness. Well, that's really strange, because when I was applying for a master's program and a PhD program, I had to look at my University of Missouri transcripts. And I, and I specifically looked up, because that's what I was accused of, of lying about. And, and yes, I definitely took altered states of consciousness, and I was pleased to discover that, that my grade point average in altered states of consciousness was A. I had a bunch of A pluses and a couple of A minuses, and it averaged out to an A. So, yes, I did take altered states of consciousness. Yes, it was in the Department of Psychology. Yes, it was a brand new field. Because when I took it, it was the first year that the University of Missouri had ever offered uh, the, the curriculum uh, and study of altered states of consciousness. So I had hard, I have hardcore proof that I was telling the truth, and my accuser has no proof besides laziness. And that I also it also proves that my my dual major was filmmaking at the University of Missouri, which I and I wrote about my experiences in these two fields in my book Power from On High. The point I'm trying to make is. Um, You're attacked and you're targeted. Would they have attacked me if I still had the the political point of view, the social point of view that I had when I was an atheist, a a, a leftist radical in the counterculture, when I was demonstrating with the radical activist Abby Hoffman, when I was made, oh, they accused me of lying about uh, being made an honorary member of of the Black Panther Party. Well, of course they (laughs) accused me of lying. Because it doesn't sit well with them on Fox News. I, this was back when Fox News, you know, I was on shows like O'Reilly and stuff. And, and these programs had like eight or nine million viewers back then, not, not the fraction uh, of the number today. And I remember debating with an African-American female who obviously not, uh, was not born uh, when I was made an honorary not remember the Black Panther Party. And, and she tried to dismiss it that I was lying. And so all the mics and the cameras were on me because, you know, people were kind of hoping I'd fall on my sword. Well, I didn't fall on my sword because with machine gun fire, no no violence intended in the pun. With machine gun fire rapidity, I fired out bullet points, no pun intended. That proved 100% that I knew an enormous amount about the Black Panther Party during the time in which I claimed I was an honorary member of the Black Panther Party. And I tell the story of why I could only be made an honorary member. And that's because I was white. And in a lighthearted way, I told the head of the Black Panther Party in New York, well, that's discrimination if you're not going to let me be a member of the Black Panther Party. And, and you know, I kept it lighthearted. He kept it lighthearted. And he said, well, all right, so we'll make you an honorary. Since you're white, we'll, we'll make an exception for you because you identify with our cause. Remember, back then, the original Black Panther Party was far different than the current Black Panther Party. So he made me an honorary member of the Black Panther Party. Now, nobody doubted in the audience, my opponent looked like an idiot, nothing to do with race. She looked like an idiot because it was obvious by the content of our debate that she knew practically nothing about the history or the names of the founders and the leaders of the original Black Panther Party. And I knew the names verbatim of all of the leaders, like Elridge Cleaver. And, uh, you know, I have the names, the whole story in my book, Power From On High. And, you know, it had, my statements had the ring of truth in them. Because if I was lying, I, I nobody could make up the story that was real. So the point is, if I was still a liberal, if I was still a liberal activist, uh, I wouldn't have been attacked. Nobody would have been accusing me of lying. You see, that, that happens when you're standing for the truth. That happens when you're not speaking the party line. That happens when you break rank with the liberal radical activists, of which I was, even though at 15 years old, I was demonstrating with the radical activist Abby Hoffman. At 15 years old, I was hanging out in New York City's East Village with Dr. Timothy Leary, the Harvard LSD professor. And I could give you a list of a who's who in, in the, of counterculture leaders and, and radical political leaders that I was demonstrating with and hanging out with in New York City during the, the counterculture days. So my story is true. My my major is true. I mean, here's the other point. Look at look at that purely from a logical and rational basis. There were very few people who enrolled in 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 the, the study of altered states of consciousness. It was just a handful of us, and you can guess why. All of my friends and everybody I knew they were majoring in, in uh, fields of study, thinking about a, a secure, well-paying career. So they were majoring in. Medicine to be a doctor. They were majoring in business. They were majoring in uh, engineering. They were majoring in all these, you know, serious, disciplined, uh, and you're going to have a well-paying, secure job and career at the end of the road. Okay. Nobody in their right mind is going to major in filmmaking and altered states of consciousness at the University of Missouri who is is who's mapping out his future based on the traditional uh, map, which is you you study the courses in the fields where you can gain the best employment, the best income, you know, the best prestige, et cetera, et cetera. That's where everybody else was going. So obviously, I, I had no guile in my decision to major in altered states of consciousness and filmmaking, because that is not a traditional pragmatic move. That's a move that only a romantic, only uh, a visionary, only a, a somebody who thinks radically outside of the box and is willing to risk all, uh, only that kind of person majors in altered states of consciousness in filmmaking. You understand what I'm saying? So I've been attacked all my life in these areas because I, I disavowed my a- atheism and secular humanism. I I had a miraculous experience with Jesus Christ hitchhiking on the back roads of Missouri. Um, I became a born-again Christian. And that's like becoming a member of the KKK in an all-black neighborhood. I mean, it's just like you don't do that. Atheists don't become Christians. I did. I went from radical leftist politics, even though... My, my leftist politics were always of a utopian nature, were, were, were always of an idealistic, rosy-colored glasses nature, because I was, thank God for this, despite the lunacy uh, or apparent lunacy of, of majoring in what I majored in, um, the, the reality is uh, I left the left no pun intended. I left radical politics because as I grew older, as I attended the University of Missouri, as I did my own research and thinking, I realized that leftist thinking, socialism, communism, Marxism, these dreams of utopia were all the biggest bunch of you-know-what that you could possibly imagine. They were total, total totalitarian fantasies that historically only ended up in one place 100% of the time, which is those romantic, garbage philosophies like communism, Marxism, totalitarianism, globalism, they always ended up in creating a super dictatorship, a totalitarian regime, and a brutal communist state in which, even though they suppress the numbers to this day, in which... Hundreds and hundreds of millions of people were shot to death, starved to death, sent to uh, Siberian sub-zero concentration camps, sent to mental hospitals. Because if you disavowed communism in a communist country at that time, you were considered clinically insane, and they would send you to a mental hospital somewhere. Okay, so my road was never the popular road, and it remains that way. To this day, my experiences in what is called the evangelical movement, the Bible-believing Christian movement, I remember reading Francis Schaefer's book, Doctor Francis Schaefer, "Escape from Reason," which brilliantly analyzed the Bible versus contemporary culture. And I was stunned to discover that you could be intelligent and a Christian at the same time. Now, what I learned was, and I said this to myself because remember I. In my pilgrimage for truth. See, I kept, I didn't, you know, just, in one way, I'm unnecessarily disparaging myself and putting myself down. And I don't think that's really a fair assessment of my biographical path. In reality, my biographical path, in truth, and in final reality, was built upon the premise that I vowed to myself. At the earliest age that I could remember, I made this solemn vow to myself. And it's going to sound a little corny, but it went something like this. Paul, the most important thing in life is for you to discover and to understand why you are alive, what is your purpose in life, and what you're doing here on planet Earth. And if you come to the end of your life and you don't know for a certainty why you're alive, what your purpose in life is, and what you're doing here on planet Earth, if you haven't answered those three questions uh, totally, then your life, no no matter how wealthy you become, no matter how famous you become, no matter what you think you've accomplished, Paul, I said this at a very, very young age, you've accomplished nothing. Because all of this won't mean anything the day you die. You will disappear. I was an atheist at the time. You will disappear into nothingness. Your body will disintegrate. Nobody will remember that you were even here. And even should they remember that you were here, in a rational, logical uh, methodology, nobody will give a you-know-what that you were here. It's a completely meaningless uh, uh, goal. Whether you're famous or rich or whatever, it means nothing. You will not even exist. You will not even be able to remember why you were here. So the whole thing is a farce. It's what the existentialists, and that's what my parents told me I was. Existentialism is like a denomination within atheism and secular humanism. An existentialist is somebody who only believes in our temporary existence, and that once our temporary existence is over, poof, we're gone. That's an existentialist. So I vowed to myself that I had to find the answer to those questions. And that was more important than anything, materialism, money, power, fame, riches, whatever. And so in reality, because I just disparaged myself for 30 minutes, um, I'm not going to take that back, what I said. But I think in order to fully tell you the truth, then I have to fully tell you the truth about my real biography. And this is the complete truth. The complete truth is, was, and will continue to be that I vowed that I would find the answer to those questions and that I, that that was more important to me than any monetary game fame accomplishment or whatever. And so as I proceeded in life starting out in grammar school, starting going to college. That is the reason. You see ultimately my reason for majoring and studying psychology, altered states of consciousness, filmmaking, and then later on theology and bible prophecy, my reason for studying uh and and Uh, participating in, in these esoteric academic fields where I knew it was obvious to me on a rational, logical basis that I was choosing a career path that was non-existent from a human, secular, American, materialistic perspective. I don't know anybody of my friends. I mean, my decision to major in what I majored in was about as radical as you can get. And, and it turned out I paid a heavy price for that. But you see, I was willing to pay the price because my stated goal was that I had to find out the answer to life's three most important questions. I tell this story in its uncensored version in my book, Power From On High. And so every decision I made, every pursuit I made, always firmly had that goal and objective held in my mind. So that's the truth. So the truth is, my career choices, my, my choices in what field of study, uh, the risks I would take versus the rewards I might get, all of my decisions were not based on this traditional American pragmatism, which, which simply means you, you do whatever is the most expedient You do what is going to be the easiest to make you money, to be accepted, etc., etc. My dive was far deeper than that. I was willing to risk my life. I was willing to bet my life on the fact that I believed that the truth was out there somewhere, and I was going to find it, come hell or high water. And then, so what happened was, and that meant I would reject any system of beliefs. No matter how committed I was to any system of beliefs, I was willing to reject completely any potential system of beliefs if they proved to be false, if they proved to be non-true, or if they proved to be wrong. So, as I pursued my goal for the truth, and that was my number one goal, I was serious about it. It wasn't playtime for me. That's why, to this day, I am repulsed and disgusted by evangelicals and Bible-believing Christians and denominations and churches and seminaries that teach this kind of hybrid form of pseudo Christianity, in which the end product is a the end product is selling out and worshiping the following gods. Now these gods that the evangelical church and the uh, um, Bible-believing church and the churches and the pastors and the Christian institutions, the gods that they worshipped were clearly defined by Dr. Francis Schaeffer. He is the one that made me aware of the prevailing idolatry that is considered normal in the evangelical church. And what he said was was that the evangelical Christians and Bible-believing Christians, and that includes the seminaries, the pastors, the celebrity authors. Many of the Christian leaders, the heads of many Christian uh, uh, ministries, and so on and so forth, and, and your average evangelical Christian or Bible believing Christian in America, Dr. Francis Schaefer said. They are not really worshiping the God of the Bible. They say they're worshiping the God of the Bible, but in true truth or final reality, terms coined by Dr. Francis Schaefer. Schaefer, Schaefer thundered from electronic pulpits like Dr. D. James Kennedy, a brilliant Christian. Dr. Francis Schaefer thundered that the real gods, he said, of the evangelical and Bible-believing Christian church, the real gods of the evangelical Christians, the individuals, the seminaries, the ministries, the authors, the publishing industries, he said the real gods of evangelicalism. Um, and the real gods of the Bible-believing Christian church, he said, Dr. Francis Schaeffer said, were and are the gods, small g, of, he called them, he called the idols of the Christian church the following. The false gods of the Christian church he labeled as the following. The gods of personal peace and prosperity. The gods of materialism. The gods of sexuality. The gods of uh, pragmatism, you know, what? whatever, get along to go along. Sell out your beliefs, don't, don't rock the boat. So what Schaefer was saying, when push comes to shove, evangelicals and evangelical institutions and pastors and seminaries and the entire system is corrupt and right. And what he said was that instead of worshiping the true God, the Bible, the God of the Bible, or Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords, Instead of worshiping the true God, the evangelical church and its institutions, churches and pastors and leaders, they're worshiping the false gods of personal peace and prosperity, materialism, pragmatism, and, you know, to go along, and to get along. They're worshiping at the altars of convenience, not worshiping at the altars of, of sacrifice. You see, what Schaeffer was saying, a truly biblical faith is one in which you're willing, like right now, as you hear my words, if you're really a Christian, the evidence of that is not merely because uh, you claim to be born again, or it's not merely because you claim to uh, uh, speak in tongues, or these other superficial identification points. He said, you have to be, Schaefer said, you have to be willing to pick up your cross, die to yourself spiritually by faith in order to follow Jesus. So he called that, Schaefer called that true spirituality. And, you know, that is the foundation. I don't always talk about it, but that is the foundation of this ministry, Paul McGuire Ministries, Paradise Mountain Church, and everything we do. The foundation upon which this ministry in Paradise Mountain Church is built is this rock-solid foundation that we, we have purposed in our heart to worship Jesus Christ as Lord, and we have purposed in our heart to pick up our cross by faith, die to ourselves, repent of worshiping idols, repent of theological pragmatism, where you just do stuff to get along, go along. And in dying to yourself, which means you're willing to die to to your own pleasures and convenience. You're willing to serve God by functioning with love and action. And so that plays out in the real world, moment by moment and day by day, you're confronted with a series of decisions. No, none of us make the decisions the way we should 100% of the time. And I don't claim to either, by the way. So Schaeffer would say, and I would agree with him, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us of all sin. So even though we don't uh, measure up perfectly to the law of God, the, 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 the key before God is what is our intention? God is focused in on what is our intention. He's not focused in on, oh, here's my yellow legal pad, and I'm making a list of every time you've failed. No. If that's your mindset, you'll have a nervous breakdown. So you pick up your cross and follow Jesus. That means you're willing to obey the call of God for your life, and 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 let us make no mistake about it. When you purpose in your heart to obey the call of God for your life, that means when God tells you to take a stand publicly, when God tells you to use your financial resources or your intellectual resources or your or or the resources you have in terms of skills and abilities and talents when God calls upon you to take a stand and to use the assets that God has given you to make a difference in the spiritual war for our nation, you are willing to pick up your cross and obey God and obey Jesus even though you know full well that it's going to cost you something in the flesh you're going to make no mistake about it when you take a stand for Christ you are going to be attacked in all kinds of ways and i want to repeat that not cuz you didn't hear it but but a theology which cannot embrace that is not a biblical theology when you make the decision to truly follow Christ, you will be attacked. You will be persecuted. You will be lied about. People will break fellowship with you. The closer you get to Jesus and the more you're willing to obey Jesus, the more persecution, the more attacks, the more the breaking of fellowship, the more you're lied about, etc., etc. It's not that we want those things. We don't. I don't but it is part of picking up the cross and following Jesus. And so, you see, I told you that not to brag about myself, certainly not. Anything good in me, and I'm not saying this as a form of perverse flattery, but anything good in me and anything good you see in my life, I am brutally and painfully aware of the fact that that is produced solely by the grace of God or the unmerited or unearned favor of God. That means any goodness, any holiness, any strength, any righteousness, any boldness, any passion you may see in my life regarding Jesus Christ is the result of the action of the Holy Spirit of God moving in my life. It is the Holy Spirit in me. It is not Paul McGuire. It is the Holy Spirit in me that is bold, that is courageous, that removes fear. That causes me, despite myself, to follow and to want to obey Jesus. It causes me to be willing to endure the paying of the prices. You understand? Many of you have experienced the same thing. Okay, so where I'm going with this is that if we want to see true biblical revival, if we want to see uh, a true biblical Third Great Awakening, if we want to see uh, 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 the spiritual battle in America turned around 180 degrees, if we really want to see the demonic powers, the principalities and powers, the demons and the fallen angels, along with their strongholds, along with their pyramidical hierarchies, and along with their control and occupation of major sectors of, of planet Earth, if we want to truly see that broken by the supernatural power of God, There's only one biblical way that we can release this incredible spiritual power known as power from on high, which is what I titled my book, Power from on High. We win the greatest battle for the hearts and minds of mankind in the history of the world through the power of God. Now, what that means in practical everyday terms is simply this. Releasing the dunamis dynamite power from on high comes only as a byproduct of your willingness and my willingness to pick up uh, the cross of Christ by faith. It only comes about as a byproduct of our willingness to to die to our self-centeredness and our carnal nature daily by faith. And it only comes about by dying to ourselves by faith and by, by partaking in the resurrection power of Jesus Christ by faith. In other words, if we want to release the supernatural power of God in and through our lives, in and through our nation, our children, right now, let us not lie. Let us tell the truth before God, because he knows what the truth is. Right now, the truth is, America is in the greatest danger it's ever been. That's the 4th of July should be a conscious remembrance of that reality. Nothing wrong with hot dogs and having fun with your friends. But if that's all your 4th of July is, you have allowed your life to be diverted into a, minimal, a minimalism that's not biblical. The only way the supernatural power of God can be released to the extent that it can break the demonic strongholds, to the extent that the explosion of the dunamis dynamite power of God detonates or explodes violently in a law-abiding manner in the spiritual realm, when the dunamis dynamite power of God detonates or explodes in the invisible realm or the spiritual world, it sends out a shockwave blast which incinerates... Millions of demons, fallen angels, principalities and powers, territorial spirits, the dark unseen forces of wickedness in heavenly places. And then, to the degree that this pyramidal like structure and to the degree that this octopus like structure sends out its technicals and intertwines itself and, and exerts illegal control over God's people, over God's resources over the children of this earth, and over everything that's good and godly in this earth, the powers of darkness, and Lucifer himself, because he is the highest-ranking angel in the warfare that we are engaged in. But the termination and restraint of Satan does not come to pass without an enormous price. And here's the enormous price. If you want the step-by-step formula, of how you can, in a law-abiding and peaceful way, pull the trigger, so to speak, that will release the dunamis dynamite power, explosive power of God, that will wipe out countless millions of demonic entities that have filled our multidimensional world. These demonic entities have not only penetrated, controlled, and occupied our multi dimensional world, but this hierarchy of demonic control known as Mystery Babylon is this invisible spiritual kingdom of Lucifer that is temporarily but currently ruling this earth dimension. And so Lucifer or Satan has radically transformed by using the laws of evil, by using the laws of alchemical magic. Satan has Has used the things like black physics and Satan has used uh, upper level uh, satanic and Luciferian technology and science to merge these high level technological, alchemical, scientific discoveries, to merge them with science, technology, genetics, biology and also all the governments and the structures of mankind that are largely under the control of Satan, Lucifer, and the fallen angels. And I'm talking about systems. Lucifer is a master at the organization and management of what could be called in, in business circles, systems theory, or general systems theory. And in general systems theory, it's the application of scientific technology and mathematics to the development and implementation of a highest, a high-level uh, organizational structure, which places Lucifer at the very top of the pyramid structure. And as the pyramid goes wider towards the bottom, the pyramidical Luciferian structure intrudes and controls all the fields of knowledge, science, and technology. It, it, it penetrates things like black physics, quantum physics, uh, scalar uh, technology, and then it moves with an incredible—you have to understand, Luciferian science, technology, alchemical magic operates at a very high level, multidimensional level, and it's designed to create a counterfeit kingdom to the kingdom of God, and it's designed to install Lucifer as the temporary god of this world. That's exactly what Lucifer told Eve in the Garden of Eden when he tempted—what And what is tempting? Tempting is a form of sorcery. Tempting is a form of psyops. Tempting is a form of hypnotic control. Tempting is a form of mind control. Tempting is a form of NLP or neuro-linguistic programming. So Satan or Lucifer and the fallen angels, along with their hierarchy, are have penetrated the control grid. Because they are in the business of installing a coup d'état or a revolution against the true and living biblical God, and Satan's end game is to be the God of this world forever. And Satan's end game is to be uh, is to replace God, and Satan's end game is to deceive all the people of the earth into worshiping Satan as God. And that is outlined and depicted and warned about in the book of Revelation when it talks about the last days and the one world religion, the one world economic system, and the one world government, now called the Great Reset. Uh, That is a Luciferian mechanism that is part science, part technology, part occultism, part psychic supernatural power. You have to understand. You have to understand, the only way you can be victorious, knowledge is power, the only way you can be victorious is to acquire knowledge, which is power, and you need to know and teach yourself and learn and teach others how to engage Lucifer and the fallen angels on the multidimensional battlefields of this reality so that we can conquer Lucifer and the fallen angels and occupy until he comes. That's where we are now. Now, we're going we're gonna to zoom out and we're going to zoom in, and when we come back in, we're going to move in for a close-up on the secret occultic networks of power and control, of the secret occult networks of uh, uh, money magic and alchemical magic, the secret and occult uh, sciences and technologies, and the secret and occult network of psychic power and supernatural power, versus the incredible, awesome, overwhelming supernatural power of God, which is available to every child of God who studies the Word and receives the promises of the Word by faith. This is Paul McGuire. Visit paulmcguire.us. That's paulmcguire.us. I need you to stand with me in this spiritual battle now. The tough truths The biblical truths that I communicated to you on this program of the Paul McGuire Report, these are foundational biblical truths that have the power to change our reality. I need you to help me to march forward, incorporating all technology, incorporating the knowledge of the Word at the highest level, and together, if we move forward, we can take back the earth, or at least occupy until he comes, until the second coming. We are not defeated. The body of Christ, the supernatural body of Christ on earth right now, in violent but law-abiding spiritual conflict in the invisible realm, is in an all-out multidimensional war with Satan, the fallen angels, and fallen angel technology, and fallen angel and Luciferian powers. We're in an all-out war and an all-out conflict that is both multidimensional in nature and supernatural in nature. God has placed it in our hands. If we will teach the Word in all its depth to his people, if we will truly evangelize, which always results in the making of true disciples of God's people, and if we will make disciples of God's people and truly evangelize and function, in our full authority as supernatural spiritual warriors in the end times, we can turn around the spiritual battle and we can conquer the temporal kingdoms of darkness and we can regain the power that Lucifer stole from the human race when he lied and uh, beguiled Adam and Eve. We can take back what was stolen from us. Remember, originally, Adam and Eve were the kings and queens of planet Earth. Originally, Adam and Eve were uh, immortal beings. Originally, uh, Adam and Eve ruled and reigned planet Earth. This illegal ruling and reigning by Lucifer and and the fallen angels by Satan over planet Earth is an illegal operation. God has given us the privilege of coming boldly to the throne of grace, unmerited favor, through the blood of Jesus Christ, which cleanses us from all sin. When we do that by faith, we take advantage of the blood of Jesus and we come boldly into the throne of grace and receive his unmerited favor. When we actually obey God's word and do that, we reestablish our right, our biblical right, to rule and reign on planet Earth. And we are given the opportunity by God to reverse engineer the fall of man that occurred in the Garden of Eden. And when we reverse engineer the fall of man that happened in the Garden of Eden, we take back the land, the territory, the life force, the power, the immortality, and everything else that God has given us. So I need your help. This is a war. I challenge you and exhort you to seek God with all your heart, soul, and mind. When you do that, God will reveal to you by the revelation power of the Word of God, by the revelation power of the Holy Spirit, God will reveal to you supernaturally that the spiritual war that we're engaged in is a winnable war and that you and I have been given the power to be victorious against the powers of darkness in this all out spiritual war. And then at that point, God will divinely reframe our mind by shattering the strongholds that Satan has embedded in our minds, when we shatter those strongholds, we then choose, with an act of our will, with an act of faith, to rise in response to the call of God on our lives. And as we rise in the power of the Holy Spirit, we release the power of the Holy Spirit on this earth, and we will take back Everything that has been stolen from us by God. Why? Why will we take it back? Because the person that is ultimately in charge of everything is the Creator, capital C. He is the biblical God, the Creator of the universe. He's King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And because that is who God is, He's just righteousness, He's the Judge of all the earth, and He's holy. Because that is who God is, God has given us by His law the legal right and the legal opportunity to come boldly to the throne room of God and take back our inheritance, take back that which was stolen from us, and take back everything that the devil manipulated us out of. And when we do that, we will see and we will experience what can only be described as a violent reverberation in the corridors of space and time, that will begin to shake, and they will begin to vibrate holographically, because this is a physical dimension reaction to the explosion of the dunamis dynamite power of God on a multidimensional level in the earth. And so God has has given us the legal right to take back everything that—and this is where we need a revelation—we're not taking back what doesn't belong to us, we're taking back everything that legally belongs to us. And because we're taking back everything that legally belongs to us, God is assigning his supernatural power, power from on high, his knowledge, which equates to power, and God is energizing us to be more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. We take it back completely. But we just don't take it back temporarily. We take it back eternally as we inherit and possess brand new glorified bodies that are immortal, and we go into heaven where we will sit on thrones that are situated near the throne of Jesus Christ, and on the thrones that we choose to sit on, we'll notice that our names are written on every throne that we sit on, which is a signification of the fact that before we were called to be here for such a time as this, we have been given the power to rule and reign with Jesus Christ for all eternity. I need you to stand with me. I'm not asking you whether you have goosebumps. I'm asking you this question based on allowing the Word of God to, conf- to allowing the Word of God to confront you and based on allowing the Word of God to convict you by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm asking you to go before God and ask him. God, exactly, how much would you have me give in an act of worship and obedience? How much would you have me give or contribute or donate financially? And then whatever God Almighty tells you to give, donate, or contribute financially, no matter what the sacrifice is, I am asking you on the basis of being willing to conduct radical obedience before God, I'm asking you to step out in faith, and to give generously and joyously whatever it is that God is speaking into your heart right now to give. So at this very moment, I am supremely confident that many of you are experiencing the voice of God, and he is commanding you with his authority to give or contribute or donate a specific amount to supply the needs of this ministry so that we can win this spiritual war. Everything we're doing is a predicated on expanding this biblical message, teaching this biblical message to God's people, teaching a biblical world view to God's people, teaching them how to walk in authentic power from on high, and teaching them how to be clothed with the power of the Holy Spirit, teaching them how to acquire true knowledge from the Word of God, and then by totally obeying whatever it is God is commanding you to do. And then I also also ask you to obey God as he speaks to your heart about becoming an intercessory prayer warrior for me, the ministry, and all the people associated with the ministry. You can donate by envelope. The address is at paulmcguire.us. You can donate by uh, secure donations electronically at paulmcguire.us, electronic donations. You can donate in many secure uh, ways. Also, finally, I need you to sign up for our e-blast list, sign up for our Google uh, Blast, sign up for our Rumble, our Facebook, all of these social medias. It's imperative because there's a lying war going on, which is the same thing as saying there's a rigging war going on. Okay, this is Paul McGuire. I need you to go to paulmcguire.us. We're going to win this. We're going to turn it around. We need 1% of the people in America who are radioactive in the good sense with the power of God, with the dunamis dynamite power of God. If 1% of us walk in an authentic biblical revival, we will turn the tables on this spiritual battle. So go to paulmcguire.us. That's paulmcguire.us. We'll be back in just a second. Welcome again. You're listening to the Paul McGuire Report. I'm Paul McGuire. I want to conclude with this powerful truth from God's Word. And it is from the foundation of the integrity and power of God's Word that I am able to minister. And as I was telling my wife the other day, and she knows this anyway, it's just sometimes guys like to bounce stuff off their wives. And I'm one of those guys. That doesn't mean, as one guy said, who called my radio show years ago and said, he said, Oh, that's a good idea. He was being sarcastic. He said, That's a good idea. That's a really good idea, he said sarcastically. It's really good for uh, uh, a man to uh you know listen to his wife. Now, I was talking about the fact that a wise man will regularly listen to his wife. And his sarcastic comment was oh, yeah, that's a really good idea. He said, that's exactly what Eve did. She she listened. That's exactly what Adam did. Excuse me. That's exactly what Adam did. He uh, listened to his wife and implied not God. Well, it was a sarcastic point, but there was truth in that. I mean, it wasn't like what he was saying. Was not, it wasn't absence of truth. A man ultimately needs to listen to the Lord. Spiritually, the man is the head of the household. But remember, the way that plays out in the Bible is in order to qualify to be the spiritual head of the household, you have to die to yourself and be willing to love your wife just like Christ loved the church. Now, if you want to talk about a check and balance, that's it. No wife is going to be abused or exploited in conferring leadership to her husband spiritually if her husband is obeying God by uh, loving his wife as Christ loved the church. And, and there's, there's more to that. That's a whole teaching in and of itself. So this is what I, I want to communicate as a kind of summary thought, but I consider it of the highest level of importance. Right now in America, anyone who is aware of what's going on, whether you're a Christian or not, you are aware of the fact that today happens to be July 4th. It's the foundation of our freedoms because our founding fathers dared to engage in a revolution after exhausting every other option available to them. Our founding fathers, most of them, the overwhelming majority of them, were educated in pilgrim and Puritan schools, so they had a biblical worldview. The ones who were not pilgrims and Puritans, they were still educated in pilgrim and Puritan schools. And then all the other founding fathers were pilgrims and Puritans. So the prevailing thought, the, 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 the foundation of America, was built on a biblical worldview. And that's why America is America, a miracle. I've said this in all my books. I suggest that you get my books. You can get a huge—save money with a huge financial discount right now by going to paulmaguire.us. You can get a whole bunch of books. There's a massive discount, and the ministry, we pay for the shipping. It's something you're going to want to have now and in the future. When the day may come when books are not available. And before that happens, what you have electronically will not be available. So, this is what I have to say to you. Um, I have spent many decades alive, observing, researching, studying, experiencing many different things in a very unique and different way than most people. This has given me a very Uh, advantageous perspective level that allows me to analyze what's happening in our world at a far higher and, and a far more accurate level. And this is what I have to say to you. We are in the most serious moment we've ever been in, both in America and around the world. We are teetering on the precipice of the most nightmarish, Orwellian, totalitarian, super dictatorship beyond anything you could ever imagine in your worst nightmares we're on the very edge of it going into operation in fact the plans for it operational operationally have already been mapped out in fact the logistics operationally and in fact the finances the the trillions of dollars in finances uh necessary to implement this global revolution, this global coup d'etat that will turn America into a totalitarian, futuristic science fiction dictatorship, as well as the rest of the world. That was not embellishment, by the way. There was no exaggeration in what I just told you. That was a sober-minded and highly accurate analysis of exactly what is going to happen in a very short period of time, perhaps shorter than you ever dared to dream would ever happen. Now, I am not telling you that to scare you. I'm telling you that in the same mindset as if you went to a doctor that you trusted, a doctor that had a track record or integrity, and that doctor told you that you had a particular disease and you know, and that you at most had six months to live, or let's change it at most you had a year to live. And obviously. You know, he knew that this would terrify you and it would rock your world, and it did. But then he added that the vast majority of cases, people die in approximately one year from the disease or condition that you have. But then he says to you, looking at you in the eyes, he says, but there are something between 10, 15 percent of the people who get this rare condition and this rare disease, who do not die within a year or two years, there's something like 15% or 10% of the people who get this disease and condition who go on to live the full length of their normal adult lives. In other words, they continue to live, they have a, a life worth living. And although it seems impossible, 10 to 15% of these people break the odds, and they live. And then, of course, you want to know from your doctor, well, what do you need to do to fix it? He said, there are, and I'm not a medical doctor, this is a metaphor, okay? But this trusted doctor in our parable says to you, if you are willing to radically change your lifestyle, Religiously ingest certain herbs, vitamins, nutrients, alternative medicines, and commit to a, a, a radical life-saving program, and and don't like backslide from the life-saving program. The doctor says to you, "Then I can, with a fair degree of confidence, tell you that." I believe, given your condition and your current state of health, I believe that you have, that you can be, that it is possible for you to be in the 10 to 15 percent of the people who overcome the disease, overcome this condition, and go on to live a full spectrum of healthy, happy, normal lives. Which means, you know, they live for another 50 years or whatever it is. And you say, well, why wouldn't everybody do it? And he says, that's a good question. So then he he gives you a book or two to read, and he gives you some paperwork to read, and says, if you will first read this, then we'll have a follow-up meeting, uh, and we'll develop a specific regimen for your condition and, and, and your particular biological state. And if you will commit to this and actually follow through and do it, again, I believe there's no reason whatsoever that you should not be in that 10 to 15% of the people who actually recover from this disease and condition and who actually go on to live their full and complete normal adult lives. But but the key is you have to be committed to the regimen and you have to uh be willing to commit to do it daily. So so you say to the doctor, "Well, why wouldn't everybody do do this?" He said there's a certain percentage of people who are fixed in their ways and they don't believe that it's possible for them to live. So they resign to fatalism and they die. There's another percentage of people who are convinced that, you know, uh, if modern medicine doesn't have a cure for it, then there is no cure for it. And then there's another group of people who, who have the best of intentions. They start the regimen. They start, you know, really being committed to eating the right nutrients following the, the, the recovery program. but after a while, you know, they have a craving for the unhealthy foods and the pizzas and stuff, and they backslide. And then they backslide and they fall in the trap of becoming fatalistic. And then, you know, a year later, they're dead. So you say to the doctor, Are you telling me that, that it's that simple to, to change the direction of my life? And the doctor says, Absolutely. But the doctor said, The reason that the people who die, die. Is not because there are not nutrients and medical regimens and alternative medicine routines readily available that will cure them from this disease that will uh, uh, cure them from this condition people are, he said to, to me in the parable he said he said people are not dying because people are dying he said because not because there are not available nutrients and herbs and medicines, and that there are not available regimens they can go on that actually work. He said, people are dying because they don't believe it will work, and they give up. So then the doctor says to the patient with the final words, "Your biggest battle is not the the uh, uh, disease or the condition that you have." He said, "It's absolutely a hundred percent." It's a a winnable war. You can defeat that disease and condition. He said, your biggest battle will be the battle of the mind, where you're going to be tempted to go back and forth in your mind, and part of you is going to be saying, this works. I'm going to follow the the regimen. I'm going to take the nutrients and vitamins. I'm going to take the protocol, and I'm going to be better, and I'm going to live out my entire adult life. But another part of you Is filled with doubt and saying this couldn't possibly work, it's too good to be true, and I don't believe it. He said, starting now, whatever opinion you cling to, whatever belief system you adhere to, that is what is going to determine your destiny, your end game, and your outcome. Now, should you backslide occasionally or should you fall backwards a day here or a couple of days there? You just get right back on the program. It doesn't mean your possibility for a long life ends. Not at all. He said the name of the game is what you believe and how faithfully you act on what you believe. That's going to determine your outcome, whether you live or die in in the long term. So that's my like homemade off the cuff parable. And that's exactly what's facing the body of Christ in America today and every evangelical and Bible believing Christian today. The Word of God tells us totally, with 100% accuracy, that God Almighty has given us the power to defeat our enemies and to reconquer the land called America that God gave us for a specific reason. There is no scientific, spiritual, biblical, biological, or historical reason that we should not be completely, uh, uh, completely able to win this spiritual war and conquer back the nation that was stolen from us by Satan and the fallen angels. There is no logical reason whatsoever. If we will simply decide to believe God, just like we believed him for our salvation, just like we believe him when we want an answer to prayer. If we are willing to come to the place where we will believe God for who he is and that we will believe that God answers our prayers, God will 100% send us the supernatural power to defeat and overcome and wipe out the powers of darkness. This is totally a winnable war. It, it, there is God is not a fatalistic God, and the message of the Bible is not fatalism. God wants his people to take back America and bring in the last day's soul harvest before the second coming. That's what God wants. He says it in his word. If all of God's people would simply believe God for the impossible, believe the promises of God, and then finally, if God's people will act on what they say they believe, we can experience a divine turnaround and win the spiritual battle. In other words, the reality that we're more than conquerors in Christ Jesus will become our future and our reality. In addition, every promise of of the Word of God is yes and amen. There's nowhere in the Bible where the answer to the promises of God was not yes and amen. No matter how difficult it may seem to be, You cannot believe in what it seems to be. You have to believe in what the truth says it is. And the truth says that all things are possible with God. So I'm saying to you, the Word of God tells us if we will believe him at his word, if we will pray like he has told us to pray, if we will act upon what we believe, we can turn around the spiritual battle. And if we will call upon God like the disciples called upon God when Jesus told them to go into Jerusalem and tarry until the Father clothes them with power from on high, God is no respecter of persons. God will do the exact same thing that he did for the disciples. He will do it for you. He will do it for me. Nothing is impossible with God. And when we receive power from on high, we will be more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. And we will overcome the powers of darkness. It's a done deal. All we have to do is believe the word of God and then act on what God's word says. This is Paul McGuire. I need you to stand with me in prayer, donations, finances, spreading the word. I need you to come alongside me. I'm telling you this with every ounce of my being. I I cannot tell you the specifics, and I can't tell you to what degree. Okay. Only God knows that. I can't tell you a specific date either. But I do know this in my inner man, as the Spirit of God bears witness. I know that I know that I know in my inner man, and according to the Word of God, that whatever we ask God, it will be done for us by our Father who is in heaven. If we will come together in prayer and claim the deliverance of our nation America and claim the deliverance of our children, God will step into our reality like he did the reality of the pilgrims and Puritans, and God will make us victorious. God will make us more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. If we will get on the right side of the blessings and curses outlined in Deuteronomy 28, we will win this spiritual war. Nothing can defeat us. These are my final words. But I must have your help, I must have your donations. Whatever God tells you to give, If it's a radical amount, walk on the water and give a radical amount. If it means getting up in the middle of the night and praying for an hour, then get up in the middle of the night and pray for an hour. If it means signing on to our e-blast, then so be it. Whatever God asks you to do, do it. And together, together, we can take back the land. God bless you. This is your brother in Christ. And once again, together, we will take back the land. Visit paulmcguire.us. That's paulmcguire.us.